Um, our second reading comes from Titus 1, 10 to 16. It's on page 10, 1030 of the Black Bibles. Titus 1, 10 to 16. For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciousnesses are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, church. Lovely to see you. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. Um, if you're new or visiting tonight, especially warm welcome. Uh, we're working through our, our way through a book, book called Titus. Uh, so from grace flows goodness. And what we do is work through bit by bit, and tonight you've joined us in quite a difficult bit, because we're talking about uh, false teachers, uh, confronting error, correcting wrong teaching in God's church, saying the hard things to people in God's church who are being led astray or leading other peoples astray. And so it's not a light and fluffy sermon tonight. Uh, I want to assure you that we don't talk about false teachers here at the British Church every single Sunday, uh, but that's our topic for tonight. Uh, I would way, way, way rather preach a positive, upbeat sermon on God's grace, God's love, God's compassion, or God's kindness, because no one likes teaching difficult stuff, but we must. We must teach it. It's a bit like when you go to the doctor's. I hope you don't want your doctors just to say nice things to you because you've got a problem. That's why you went to them. And so you want your doctor to tell you what is wrong and to tell you how to fix it so that things might be better. And that's kind of my role tonight as a pastor to, to point out what might be wrong in order to help us to, to fix things. Uh, J.C. Ryle says this, he asks a question, what is the best safeguard against false teaching? Uh, beyond all doubt, it is the, the regular study of the Word of God with prayer for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And that is right. The best way to, to stick with what is true and the best way to avoid what is wrong is to regularly, habitually sit under the, the Scriptures with the Word of God open, asking for the Spirit of God to teach you what is true. We all need to do that. Because false teaching is all around us. When it comes to correcting or to confronting error, I think, I think churches fall into four different categories. You've got some churches who never correct anything and never say anything harsh. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got churches that seem to be almost obsessed with correcting false teaching and they find error in everything. You've got some churches who, when they do correct it, they do it harshly and they cause hurt. And just a few churches that get that balance right. 
So there's a, the sad reality, I think there's a, there's a truckload of disillusioned and damaged people who are not in church tonight, anywhere in church tonight, because either they've been hurt by a harsh rebuke, or they've been led astray by some false teacher that was never corrected. And that's devastating, isn't it? This is God's church. God loves his church. Look at Acts chapter 20. Again, it's on the screen. Talking to pastors, he says, keep watch over yourselves if you're a pastor. And keep watch over the, the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. So, so our task is to, to nourish, to nurture, to care, to protect, to be a shepherd for you guys. Because you are the church of God. You belong to God. And God bought you with his own blood, the blood of Jesus. Now here's the warning. I know that after I leave, says Paul, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you day and night with tears. Be on your guard against false teachers, says Paul. Because savage wolves will come in among you. They're, they're not playful. They're vicious. It's not like, you know, Little Red Riding Hood where you've got a wolf dressed up as grandma saying, oh, what big eyes you've got, what big ears you've got, and everyone knows it's a wolf. No, these are deceptive. They, they sneak in amongst you. They're from within the church. From your own number, says Paul, people will arise. So, so people who sit in these chairs and sing these songs and say these prayers and, and might even speak from the front. They're from within God's church. But they lead people astray. They will not spare the flock. Their aim is to destroy by distorting the truth. So, so be on your guard, says Paul. Friends, when you think of false teachers, please don't think of those crazy religious cult leaders who have thick rimmed glasses and have a passion for beige linen. No, these are just normal people. Normal people who sit in God's church and act like Christians and might use the Bible, but they don't teach what is true and their motivation is, is to, to see that, to, to distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Not make disciples of Jesus Christ, but to, to gather a following for themselves. And that is so dangerous. I want to say, church, please be very discerning as to what so-called Christian books that you read. Because not all true. Be very discerning about what podcasts that, or sermons that you listen to, because it's not all true. Be very careful about what other online churches you choose to watch during the week, because it's not all true. And when you come here to the British Church on a Sunday night, be very discerning. Is what is being taught here at the British Church true? Because false teaching is devastating. So in this book of Titus, and remember Titus has been left on this island called Crete. It's a beautiful island. He's been given three tasks. So chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, the task is to proclaim the gospel. Chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, the, the task is to appoint elders, to appoint leaders for God's church. But these, these leaders, they, they must be of good character. 
And they must be blameless. They must not be overbearing and not quick-tempered. They must be self-controlled and upright and good people to lead God's church. So task one is to proclaim the gospel. Task two, to appoint good leaders. Task three is to confront error, to correct wrong. Uh, verse nine, he, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage people by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. They're, they're, that's the job of a pastor, to teach what is right and to correct what is wrong. Because, verse 10, because there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception. N not a few, but many, lots, he says. And it's not just your outspoken atheists or your political campaigners. These are deceptive, they're subtle, hard to spot. I was thinking about the last, this is the last year to give you an insight into my job. So in the last year, it, it was easy to spot the man in this church who claimed to be the Messiah. That was easy to spot. It was easy to spot the, 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 the Mormons who came to this church with their ties and their little badges. That was easy to spot. But what about the connect leader who was obsessed with a certain doctrine of baptism and imposed that on their group that you must be baptized in this way? What did we do then? What about the, the person at this church who was teaching about the emergent church, which basically says that doctrine doesn't matter? What, what did we do then? What, what about the, the, the person at this congregation who was passing around podcasts, with, with, which is what is quite frankly spiritually abusive teaching, guilting people into tithing and guilting people into serving? You must do this and you must do it. What, what did we do with that? What about the person in this church who told somebody that they are suffering because they must have sinned? What about the person in this church who said, well, all, all roads lead to God and Jesus Christ is not the only way and all religions are basically the same? What, what do you do with that? The person who said, well, God is a God of love and my God could not possibly send people to hell and God is a God of love and, uh, and my God doesn't really care about the way that you live your moral life. Those are all real examples from the past, 20, past 12 months. What did I do with that? Now, you know me. I, I, I am, I'm a people pleaser. I'm a, I, I, I hate conflict. I avoid conflict like anything. What do I do? I want to be liked. I want to be seen as tolerant. I don't want to be seen as judgment. What did I do? I had to lovingly and gently and patiently just sit down with these people and correct and confront and say some hard things. Why? Because people are at stake. Souls are at stake. People's eternal journeys at stake. And the reputation of Jesus Christ is at stake. And that's why we must confront error. Now listen carefully, I, I'm not attacking any other church. I'm not attacking other Anglican churches or Baptist or Pentecost. I'm talking about our church. What do we do when there is wrong teaching here at the Bridge Church? The purpose of this sermon is not to create a witch hunt. It's not to equip you to leave here playing spot the false teacher. 
My, my purpose is to, just to help you to be discerning. To be discerning as to what you listen to and what you allow to shape you. So three C's. The first one is content. The content of this false teaching. Look at verse 11. What are they teaching? Verse 11 says this, that they must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. So whatever it is they are teaching, they shouldn't be teaching. It is wrong. Uh, down to verse 14, the last three words, merely human commands of those who reject the truth. So this, these, are, these are people who deny God's word, who reject that this is the word of God, that this is truth. They don't like this. They moved on from this. They're teaching other things. And what I find fascinating is that, that Paul never actually identifies exactly what the wrong teaching is. He doesn't give you the, the top five doctrinal heresies to watch out for. And I'm really glad about that. Otherwise, we would just sit here with our little hats on saying, heresy, heresy, heresy. He gives us general principles of what to look out for. And one of the principles is this, anything that adds to the gospel is, is wrong teaching. Jesus plus teaching is wrong teaching. Grace plus is wrong teaching. When you add anything to the gospel of grace and say that you must do this in addition to grace, that is wrong teaching. Look down to 2 verse 11. It's a beautiful verse. 2 11, for the grace of God has appeared. So Jesus has come. That is God's grace. And he offers salvation to all people. And so the truth of the gospel is this, that we are saved by God's grace. God sees us in our sin, and he doesn't say, sort out your sin and then I will save you. He sees you in your sin, and he reaches out to you, and he loves you, and he lavishes you with grace, and says, you, you, you do nothing except accept my forgiveness. That is the gospel of grace. You don't deserve it. It's a gift to you. Now, as soon as you add anything to that and say, yes, you're saved by grace, but you must serve and you must tithe and you must worship in this way, you've distorted the gospel. So verse 10, there are many rebellious people, says Paul, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. So that was the problem in Crete. I'm not sure that's a problem here in Sydney, but in Crete, the problem was the, these, these Jewish converts who were obsessed with circumcision. So, so the, these men and women, I guess, who had met Jesus, they believed in Jesus, but they're going around saying stuff like that. Now, yeah, you're saved by faith in Jesus, plus you must be circumcised. You're saved by faith in Jesus, plus you must keep the Sabbath. You're saved by faith in Jesus, plus you must do these festivals. You're saved by faith in Jesus, plus this, and plus this, and plus this. And see what they're subtly doing? As soon as you have any plus, any addition, you've completely undermined grace. Because it's not just what God has done for you, but you must do something now for God. That is false teaching. Very subtle, because you know, it's important that we do things for God, but, but the, the good things that you do for God don't earn you your salvation, it's just evidence of it. It's a response to grace, not so you might receive grace. And Satan loves to add to grace, doesn't he? Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus 
attending church, Jesus plus social action, Jesus plus daily devotions, Jesus plus some spiritual experience. He takes helpful things and turns them into essential things. And that is dangerous. But it's not just biblical things. It's human rules, and we love rules. Verse 14. He says, pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Merely human commands. They're not from God. They're from people. They're man-made rules, rituals that might be helpful, but they're not essential. There's a character in the Bible that I think way, way, way too many, too many evangelicals are like. And that is the Pharisees. The Pharisees who knew, knew the Scriptures, claimed to love the Word, but they added all these rules, and all these rules and all these rituals made them feel good about themselves. Because look at me. I'm a follower of God, and I keep all these rules, and I'm superior than you. And we do it all the time. We, we subtly say, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm better than you because, hey, I lead a connect group, and hey, I lead at front in church, and you, you must read the NIV, and you must not read the Passion Version, and you must not drink at all. And we have all these rules and these rituals, and it's just human commands. And the problem is that we love it because it makes us feel good. Now, verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. It's a beautiful verse. He's saying, we are pure. In Christ, you are pure. If you're in Christ by grace alone, then God declares you to be holy and pure, and you desire purity. But to those who are corrupted and don't believe, nothing is pure. And again, this is the Pharisees. They, they thought they were pure with their food rituals, their hand washing, their keeping all the rules, but their hearts were far from God. And it's perfectly possible, my friends, to keep all the rules, to be externally, outwardly faithful, but your heart is far from God. So just beware of any teaching that adds to grace or adds to Jesus. And beware of any teaching that allows cultural trends to infiltrate the church. I think that is verses 12 and 13, culture infiltrating church. One of Crete's own prophets, says Paul, it's probably a man called Epimendes who lived around 600 BC. One of Crete's own prophets has said this, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And that is not flattering, but Paul says this, this saying is true. What he's saying there is that this is what Cretan culture is like. If you lived in Crete, the culture there was you couldn't trust anybody, they were overbearing, and they were self-centered. And the point is this, that God's people are supposed to be different from culture. And what the world says is good is not necessarily what we say is good as Christians. And you've got a problem where you're not just in the world, but you're of the world. And you've got a problem when the culture starts to infiltrate church because the culture has a propensity towards sin. So here are a few cultural trends that I fear could infiltrate the bridge church. The cultural trend towards thinking too highly of yourself. You might call it narcissism. The cultural trend of being tolerant and non-judgmental about everything. 
And so when in God's church you can't say this is right and this is wrong, you've got a problem. Uh, the cultural trend of individualism, where it's all about me, myself and I, and I'm not willing to make any sacrifices for the sake of other people unless I feel like it. The cultural trend of tribalism, well, I'll just hang out with the people who are like me or who I like. The cultural trend of materialism, where your identity and your meaning is found in your stuff. The cultural trend of revenge, where if someone hurts you, you get payback or you just ignore them. Well, the cultural trend of just lowering the bar, you know, we reduce godliness from becoming Christ-like and our definition in the church becomes we're a little bit better than the world. And so I don't sleep around and I don't get drunk and I give up my Wednesday nights for Bible study and so I'm, I'm now being godly. Now, now watch out for this kind of teaching where we just take cultural norms and we add a flavor of Christ to them. That's the content. Be discerning. Jesus plus is always wrong and cultural conformity is always wrong. Number two, the, the conduct. Because creed always shapes conduct. Your beliefs change your behavior. So, so, so what should we look out for? What type of person is going to be this false teacher? And again, it's about their character. At verse 10, he says, for, those, for, for there are many rebellious people. And the word for rebellious there is literally insubordinate, disobedient. So these are, these are people who hate authority. They hate being told what to do. They hate institutions. And the reality is that God said his church is like sheep with a shepherd. So we are the sheep and your pastors are the under shepherds and Christ is the, sheep, the chief shepherds. That is God's good plan for his church. But you get these people who don't like that. They say, I don't like church. I don't like any pastor telling me what to do. I don't need other Christians. I'm my own person. I'm a lone ranger. I hate institutions. When you hear that, red flag. They are rebellious, insubordinate. Verse 10 again, they are, they're full of, of meaningless talk and deception. I find this one very scary. They, they are mere talkers, literally. They can talk. Don't be naive. They're, they're great speakers. They're great communicators. They can hold a crowd. They're like a car salesman. They're, they're passionate. They are impressive. They are motivating. They can read an audience. They can make you scratch where you're itching. People listen to them. They sound convincing, but it's just what? Meaningless talk. A lot of substance, no value. Feel-good theology, self-help, pop psychology theology. It's meaningless. It's empty. It doesn't grow you. It doesn't sanctify you. It doesn't transform you. And deception, they are deceptive. Their, their agenda is self. I keep saying to people, you, you can have great speakers and great writers with great oratory skills and great written skills does not mean they are teaching what is true. Verse 11, they are greedy. See the end of verse 11? And that's for the sake of dishonest gain. That, that's their motivation, dishonest gain. They, they want to gain your confidence, gain your money, gain a celebrity status, gain a reputation. It's not about Christ, it's about them. At verse 12, they are liars like the Cretans. So, so, so the, these false teachers, they, they repeatedly lie. 
here's the things about lying. It's hard to spot lies sometimes. It can be half-truths. It can be truth sprinkled with exaggeration. It can be deceptive. And you have to listen to someone for a while to say, no, no, that, that is not right. It's slightly off. Most error happens when you are slightly off, not wildly off. They're evil brutes, verse 12, literally they're dangerous animals. That is ironic because on the island of Crete, there were no dangerous animals. And Paul is saying, there may not be dangerous animals, but, but the human beings are dangerous. You are the evil brutes because your people are behaving badly. You lazy gluttons, verse 11. Gets worse down in verse 15. He says, in fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. So these people no longer feel guilty about their sin. They have been behaving badly for so long, they've kind of normalized and sanitized ungodliness. But verse 16 is the worst. They claim to know God. That's the hard bit. They, they, they confess to be believers. They're claiming to believe in God, but by their actions, they deny God. So when you look at what they do, the way they live, the way they speak, the choices they make, when you look about their lifestyle, it is not godly. And look at the way they love their wives or their husbands. Look at the way they raise their kids. Look at the way that they relate to people. Look at what they say, how they say it. Look at the way they spend money. Look at the way they handle disappointments. Look at their life. And then you'll see the real person. And I know this sounds really harsh, but... We're talking about people's souls, and so you need to be careful with who you listen to. I keep saying to our church, the problem with today is that you can fill your minds with all this stuff. You can podcast all this stuff and be impressed with this stuff, but you've never met the person that you're listening to. You can have a, a cult following a particular preacher, but you've never met him or her. You've never seen them in their home or with their spouse or with their kids. You've never seen the way they treat people in their church. Because it's perfectly possible to be so impressive, but if their conduct is not godly, there is something amiss. Please don't be impressed just by good communication skills and entertaining preachers. Look at their lives. There are lots of super charismatic, gifted preachers, but they are ungodly. I know people get frustrated with me here at the Bridge Church. And they get frustrated, especially if they've come to us from another church. Because they say, look, I've been a Christian now for 20 years, and I've led at my last church, I've led connect groups, and I've preached sermons, I wanted it here at the Bridge Church. And I'll say, well, maybe, but just Wait. Just wait for a few months and let us get to know you and let us get to see you and to watch your character. Because <laughs> we're going to guard this and we're going to guard who leads and teaches at this church because it's not just what you teach, it's how you live that matters. And we need time to assess that. And I know that people get frustrated with me here at the Bridge Church because anybody who's up front, Bible readers, prayers, worship leaders, mission reps, preachers, it's not just what you believe that matters, it's how you live. And, and sometimes if you're caught in ungodliness, yes, I will sit you down and have a hard conversation because that matters. Because, you know, if you come to church on Sunday and you see someone reading the Bible and then 
during the week you see them and they're completely ungodly, then there's a mismatch there. So conduct matters. The content is Jesus plus or cultural conformity. The, the conduct is rebellious, greedy, and godless. And lastly tonight, the correction. And uh, let me warn you, to our, to our super tolerant ears, what I'm about to say is going to sound harsh. How do you respond to error in God's church? Look at verse 11. This is what God says. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households. They must be silenced. The word must means must. It's imperative. There's an urgency. Please stop, he says. The word for silence is literally the word muzzled. It's kind of the, the hand of the mouth. You've got to stop them whatever way you can. Stop them from having an audience. Stop them from speaking because they're leading people astray. At verse 13, he says, rebuke them. Refute them sharply. Uh, don't be too subtle. Don't be too nice. You've got to correct them, challenge what they say, expose the error, show them they're wrong. And you're probably thinking, Paul, that is not very tolerant. What did Jesus say about loving people and turning the cheek? Why are you so worked up about it? I'm worked up about this because it's about people. It's about souls. It's about the eternity of their souls. I remember about 25 years ago, I bought a so-called Rolex watch in Thailand. And it lasted two weeks, and then it broke, and then one of the, hand, one of the hands fell off. But do you know what? That was okay. I didn't really mind. Because when I bought it, the sign said this, fake Rolex watches for $5. And so I knew what I was getting. I knew what I was getting because they were upfront and honest. Now, most false teachers are not like that. They don't wear a sign around their neck saying, I am a false teacher. And we're not talking about watches, we're talking about souls. That's why it matters. There must be silence, verse 11, because they're disrupting whole households. They're ruining families. This, this could be homes, whole families being damaged and destroyed by these false teachers. Husband, wife, kids, all shifting away from Jesus. And I've seen this. I've seen generations of families who are stuck in legalistic religious cults because they listen to false teachers. And I've seen whole generations of families who really have nothing to do with Christ because of some harsh rebuke from years ago. So they're disrupting whole families. But the, but the word for household there could be church because remember that church met in households. So he could be saying that people are gathering week in, week out. They, they think they're hearing God's word, but they're not. They're being led astray. There's a great book called The Cruelty of Heresy. It's a great title. It is cruel because damage is being done. One pastor said this, when it comes to protecting my people from a gospel polluted by human conditions, I'm like a she-bear protecting her cubs. And I, I hope you want your pastor to be like that, people who love you enough to be so passionate and to protect you from wrong. So you must correct error for the sake of the church and you must correct error for the sake of the false teacher. I do love verse 13. It's a beautiful verse. 
I don't like doing it, but I love what it says. It says, verse 13, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply so that. So, so why do we rebuke? We, we do not rebuke because it makes us feel good. We don't rebuke because we want to be known as the, the only super sound church in Sydney. We rebuke for the sake of them. Rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith, that they might be healthy again, that they may be right on track again. That's the reason we say the hard things. Because we love people enough to, to long to restore them to Christ, to see them walking closely with Christ again. That's our motivation. Don't write people off. You long for these people to grasp grace again. I've seen it happen. And I've said the hard things and people come back to Jesus and it's so, so beautiful. So how do we do this? And we'll finish with this. How do we correct wrong teaching? Well, let me ask you, if you are a Christian here today, how does your heavenly father correct you? How does your heavenly father rebuke you? And the answer is, lovingly, gently, patiently, kindly, with compassion, but he doesn't compromise. He doesn't let you stick in your sin. He loves you enough to challenge and correct you. That's the way to do it, lovingly, patiently, gently, kindly, compassionately, but you cannot compromise. We must say hard things. You might not know this, but when our government trains people to spot counterfeit money, they don't give them a manual of the 5,000 things to look out for for counterfeit money. What they do is they, they, they take these men and these women through weeks and months of training, and what they do is they, they just spend days and days poring over real money, staring at real money in the most minute of detail. And when you spend enough time staring at the real thing, then when something that, that, that is wrong comes across your desk, you can spot it straight away. And that's what God says to us. You, you don't go around with your list of heresies to spot. All, all you do is, is that you know the word of God so well and you pour over the scriptures and you allow the word of God to shape you so when something that is not scriptural comes through your ears, you can spot it straight away. Now, if you're going to rebuke somebody, the best way to do that is with the scripture open in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when I've sat down with the Bible open and said, well, I, I think that Ephesians is saying this, what do you think? And you watch scripture and the Spirit correct people rather than you. Because I found the hard way when I tried to correct without scripture and without the Spirit, it just comes across as condemnation and judgmental. But when you sit with the Bible open and allow God to correct people, it's a beautiful thing. So I told you it wasn't a fluffy sermon tonight. God loves you enough to warn us. Loves his church. So, so watch out for the content. What are these people teaching? Not just out there, but here at, here at the Bush Church. Be discerning. What's their conduct? What's their character? Are, are they living godly lives? And then correct people if, you, if, you, if we must. But gently, with Scripture, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Father, we want to be a church 
that honours you. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us discernment as to what we listen to. Forgive me, Father, if I've said things tonight that are not of you. Give us wisdom, Father, with the things that we choose to read and the sermons that we watch. And Father, if there are anybody here tonight who has been hurt by harsh rebukes, Father, please bring healing. And if there are people here tonight who have been led astray by false teachers, bring them back to the gospel of grace. Father, thank you that you love us enough to warn us. Please help us to hear this warning tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.